Okay, welcome to Insurance Banter, the Brandon Associates podcast. In each episode, you'll experience insightful discussions about important topics that you can then turn around and implement in your business to become a more effective insurance professional. And so, good morning, Chris. Welcome. Good to have you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Good, good morning to you. And today we're going to be chatting a little bit about um, agency E&O from a plaintiff's perspective. We're always getting it from the uh, E&O carrier's perspective or from the agent's perspective. But uh, a lot of times you look at something from a different angle and you get a new insight. And this one is, is from the plaintiff. Yeah, this is, this is kind of a teaser program for one that we're going to have by next month. Um, where we're going to have uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, plaintiff attorney, a plaintiff E&O expert um, witness. This is a gentleman, I won't tell you his name yet, but this is a gentleman that specializes in uh, being an expert witness for plaintiffs, but also knows insurance inside and out as well as anyone I know. And so this, this program is kind of a teaser for that program, really. And... Um, I think the reason I wanted to, to have these topics is there's two parts in my mind to a plaintiff that is suing their agent. In one case, you have some ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous uh, situations. We can talk about that in a second. And then you have those others where it's legitimate. The agent screwed up. And What's it look like from a plaintiff's perspective when the agent just screwed up? Those are that's what you know it's for. But what's it look like from that perspective? Um, I mean, Paul, have you ever had a situation where you went to a doctor, or you went to an attorney, or you went to an accountant, or you went to a realtor, or you went to some other professional, and they just really screwed up? How did it make you feel? Oh, you're. Uh, I mean, you're you're kind of livid about it. And in fact, I was just by fortuitously reading a book about this, and it was uh, a fee-only investment advisor. And he was talking about a time when uh, he did screw up, and he left one of the big brokerage firms and was talking to his client and, um, and said, listen, that was, on, that was my mistake. He owned up to it. He said, I'm going to credit the money back to you know, this, this client's account um, that they'd missed out on. And he said the guy just on the other side of the phone just went silent for a couple of minutes and he was expecting this tirade. And the guy says, we've got a couple million more we're going to put put on on the books with you because that's what we do for stand up guys. And I, I was thinking about that from most of most of the brokerage firms. Right. If you, if you mess up as an agent you don't really get to call that shot. You can't say, oh, we'll go fix something. You're relying on a carrier or a claims person or something else. So a lot of that's out of your hands. You can't fix the situation. Um, so even if the client's wanting to give you the benefit, they're kind of mad at you, but expecting you might be able to do the right thing. You, you can't do the right thing, which probably exacerbates the issue. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, for, if you're the, if you're the insured and somebody you ask them to procure GL, and for whatever reasons, they just fail to procure GL. And you've got an uncovered claim. You have a right to be totally livid. 
Oh, yeah. Totally, absolutely livid. But you're right. It's the response, unless it's a real small claim that the agent pays out of pocket, which they probably shouldn't do by any means of the imagination. But if they were to do it, it goes excluded. It's out of their the agent's hands. So how do we address those emotions to the insured in those situations when really it's out of our control at that, at that stage? And I think that's one of the things that um, doesn't get discussed when agents go to their, what is it, once every three years E&O class that everyone has to take. I think that needs to be an addition to those classes. How do, how do you make the client feel better when you just really screwed up? Mm-hmm. And how do you train about it? The defense attorneys will say, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. We'll take care of it. I think that kind of makes the situation worse at times. Yeah. Is that like with other professions, medical malpractice, it's one of those things that the doctors that are, that are kind of really bad doctors actually, but have good bedside manners end up, um, having less claims, getting sued less than the doctors that are actually really good, but terrible bedside manner. Yeah, absolutely. The studies on that are pretty cool. Um, this goes back to med mal, maybe 15, maybe 20 years ago, even. Up in Toronto, they did this uh, really interesting study where they took little sound bites. And these sound bites are not intelligible sound bites. So it's not even a full word, just syllables. And they were able to correlate um, the vocalization of these sound bites um, to who, which doctors would be sued. Regardless, and they did, they equalized the, the mistakes. And they found that doctors that had the right bedside manner in their voice, even at an unintelligible level, got sued materially less than the doctors that didn't. It was all about the voice. So one of the things I really advocate, um, I really advocate this anymore, is that every producer should get uh, vocal training. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this. Um, we've put a number of our clients, um, referred them to a coach that we really like, that we've had great success with. And um, I think everybody should do it based on those studies, based on the success we're seeing in our, in our consulting practice. Um, and then there's another study done by uh, Tim Coomer. If you don't know Tim Coomer, He's the guy um, that created ModMaster, just a brilliant guy. His PhD study, um, which I believe, yeah, the actuarial advantage from Six Sigma. Um, Tim Coomer is just great. And um, his PhD, part of his PhD study uh, was on um, the same thing. He took bits of uh, the vocals of producers, unintelligible bits, and then played, played them back and corresponded them to uh, their sales success. And I think that study is available online. I wish I remember where it was available online. I don't. Um, and he, again, he showed that there's a correlation. So every which way you look, I think vocal training is one of the keys to helping plaintiffs feel better about a situation when uh, there's a mistake. 
also, I think it just leads to better sales success. So with that, then, and we're still talking about the situations that were absolutely uh, a true, you know, an error or an omission on the agent's part. The coverage didn't get placed. Yeah. Uh, something was wrong. Um, there's going to be, you know, it's not like we're getting out of anything at that point. We're trying to make it right. We've purchased, you know, insurance for this very reason, but you're just trying to make it less bad. Right. You're trying to make it less bad. I, um, I have a client who had one of these claims and how do you make it less bad? Well, one of the ways to make it less bad is to try to help the E&O carrier go ahead and just pay the claim. Don't drag it out. Um, they kept wanting to drag it out and the claim kept getting bigger because the client kept getting more upset. Um, you know, let's just get it paid and get and move on with everybody's life. I think that's one of the better ways to deal with it. Um, and the other part I would say is, and I, I probably will offend quite a number of attorneys if they're listening, but let's not get involved in this nitty gritty, all of the different clauses. And if you interpret it this way, and if you go down this road and if you, we're talking about humans, we screwed up. Let's not get into the minutia. Let's get the deal done and move forward. And I think that's one of the keys to helping see it from the plaintiff's perspective. I really do. Good. And that's, and that's the good, the good faith plaintiffs, right? I mean, there are folks that there's some issues and you have to initiate something, but then a lot of times you've got the, the clients who don't want to talk about insurance up front, don't want to get into the details, want everything covered, want it for the ones that you know that if something happens are going to be those, those ludicrous situations you're talking about. And the, the mitigating things that you can do, have that, have that vocal training, um, have, show some empathy, work with the, with, with the attorneys to try to get the claim paid, help the client through a difficult situation. Those things aren't going to work in these uh, in the, in no. the ludicrous types of situations, are they? No, they don't work at all. <laughs> uh, they don't work at all. Um, so how do you see it from a plaintiff's perspective when, you know, I saw one the other day where the claim was that the broker was supposed to have researched every single insurance market available. And by available, it wasn't available to the uh, agent. It was every market available to anyone in the United States. Well, there's something around, give or take, depending on the year, 1,000 insurance markets, PNC insurance markets in the United States. That's an impossible task. That's a ludicrous, from my perspective, um, situation because it's, in, it's not humanly possible. You do the permutations on that, you got a thousand markets. You've got, oh, I don't know. Let's say that there's five forms for that any given coverage per market. And then you've got to read all of the forms of those. So you're up to 5,000 forms. You, you can't read all 5,000 forms and figure out which ones have which coverages and which exclusions. It's an impossibility. It's ludicrous. How do you deal with those ludicrous claims? 
Um, I think some, I think the best advice I can ever give anybody in those situations is the higher, the hardest, meanest defense counsel in addition to your E&O counsel and make the other side feel a lot of pain quickly. I think that's the best advice I can give in that situation. And, and you've seen a lot of these, these E&O claims. I, fortunately, and the ones that I've had to, to be involved in, they weren't the, the ludicrous situations. Um, so it kind of went through the traditional process. But I've been involved in other, in other litigation where we did have our, our attorney that we, our corporate counsel, but then we needed a, a real litigator, the, the mean guys, the, as he liked to call himself, the professional a-hole. Yes, absolutely. That's what you um, need. How does that work? I mean, when you see it, do you talk to your E&O carrier and say, hey, I'm going to do this out, outside on my own? How is that generally arranged? Yeah, usually it's outside on your own, your own dime. Sometimes the you know carriers will work with uh, with you on this. Sometimes they won't. But you need a litigator, and you need one hard a litigator. Um, the really really good litigators are worth every penny they charge. Um, I've had the great opportunity to assist a few of them. Fortunately, I haven't been on the other side. I hope I never am. They are mean. Um, they are scary people. Um, even the ones that seem nice are actually pretty mean and scary on the other side. So, um, you know, that's what you need, though. And, and they're worth they're worth every penny. I'll tell you a different angle to it, too, um, that's pretty interesting with contracts. I'm a fan of having litigators review contracts before they're signed. Because it's the litigator that's going to be litigating any disputes. It's not going to be the attorney that wrote the contract that's litigating it. The litigators, the good litigators, they have a great eye for finding holes in contracts that everybody else misses. And um, so I, I think they are a great resource for reviewing any kind of contract, in fact, not just after, not only once the contract's being litigated, like in any, you know, situation. So, that's what you need. And, it's and a good idea to make friends with one of these too early so you're not searching for them at the last second. Um, they have very high divorce rates. They have very high other personal issues because they're in that litigation world. Um, so I don't know if you want to be friends with them, but you at least want to get to know them, somebody out there. Be able to wave to them from across the street most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I even think on, on, on that case, you know, you, you go to these E&O classes every couple of years. You, you look at the, uh, at the things on, on the Big Eyes website, on, on your E&O carriers website about how to do your policies, how to do your procedures, all those types of things. But it would seem to me, too, with these, these ludicrous situations is even not only contracts, but just some of your disclaimers, some of your engagement letters. I mean, you, you look at other professions, accountants, attorneys mm -hmm. that will provide an engagement letter to the client talking about what services they are going to provide. So in the example that you gave with, OK, I expected you to search every 
market out there. Um, maybe in your engagement letter or your proposal, talk about what service, the service expectation was. Yeah, that's or, or what you were doing. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think um, everybody needs to do that right now, immediately, one way or the other. Um, engagement letters are probably the highest level of that. Proposals are just below that. Quoting with the right disclaimers is the, the lowest level. Engagement letters, I love engagement letters. The difficulty with engagement letters is the industry as a whole doesn't have enough uh, E&O attorneys that know how to write them really well. And so we, we often times run up against um, those situations. Uh, one of the things you want to avoid with engagement letters, um, depending on who's drawing it up, is you don't want an engagement letter that is so off-putting that you lose all your clients. And the way that um, attorneys like to write these things is that um, they write them so strong that the client's like, why do I even wanna do business with you? So there's a compromise, there's a business need with that engagement letter that there's a middle ground that has to be found to to make make it both work. Um, I remember, uh, uh, an attorney wrote a contract for one of my clients years ago, um, and it was a producer contract. And um, the contract was so strong, so incredibly strong, that I, I said to the uh, attorney, I said, you know, this is the best producer contract, the tightest producer contract, I should say, not the best, but the tightest producer contract I've ever seen relative to the producer being able to walk off with the business. They said, it's so tight, no producer in their right mind would ever come to work for this agency. Um, You know, we can't have contracts or engagement letters or disclaimers that are so tight that no one ever does business with you. And attorneys sometimes don't know where to draw that line, in my experience. But I think that's something like that. Yeah, and I think that's the probably that good point we, we can start to wrap it up is that if we're always looking at it from the, the, the plaintiff's side, in that case, if you're looking at it from the producer side, you need to be able to do the right things, follow the, the procedures. Um, but at the same time, what can you do to make it, make the other person feel like this is not a, an adversarial process? The ludicrous Situations always going to be adversarial. That's just what they're doing. But for the legitimate ones, what can you do and, and look at it from their perspective rather than yours? Which is a hard thing to do when you're being sued or you get a demand letter. It it, uh, it doesn't make you feel calm and zen and you just want to kumbaya with everybody. Yeah, yeah. No kumbayas at that moment for sure. Um, yeah, you, you feel... You feel like every like you're a good person, and someone's telling the world that you're an awful person, and it's and you know that in your heart that you've probably done everything that you could. You're searching your mind endlessly, trying to think what could I have done differently. And um, sometimes I think it does help though to look at it from the other person's perspective, the in those honest situations, those reasonable ones, and um, maybe help you come to. A middle ground of seeing things a little a little differently 
um, and moving forward more quickly. I think it helps you maybe find peace within yourself a little bit better too in, in those situations. For those other ones, the ludicrous ones, um, best advice I can give you is try to avoid those clients to begin with. <clears throat> Most of us all have a inkling in our stomach when we meet those people that this might not work out so well. Listen to your stomach, let's do your gut check and, and have the courage to say, uh, I've got something else to do today. For sure, for sure. Well, Chris, thank you uh, so much. We appreciate uh, everybody taking the time to listen and look forward to talking to them next time where we'll get some really good insight from, from an actual plaintiff's attorney. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, uh, sounds good, Paul. Thank you very much for your time. Take care and have a great weekend. Bye-bye.